Father, there seems little doubt that for most of us, if not all of us, sitting in this place, that 9-11 was uh, a stark, rather, in our face of a reality that has been going on all over the world for a long, long time. We who, for the most part, have been unscathed uh, can no longer say that. Father, an event like that raises a bazillion questions in the minds of everyone. And we have been reminded this morning through your word, uh, through the letter of a loved one, of your faithfulness, of your presence, even in this evil and fallen world. We are reminded of our Savior, Jesus. We are reminded of the hope that we have in Him. We are so clearly reminded that this world is not our home. Father, my prayer for each of us in this place would be that we could remember on a daily basis the fragile nature of this life, the brokenness of all humanity, the pain that is present all over this world as a result of that, and that we, according to your word, have been given hope in Christ that we might give hope to others. God, don't let this day of remembering be lost on us. May we who are filled with your spirit and empowered by your grace be voices and hands and feet of hope to those in this world who do not know you. Lord, may we be willing like Jesus to roll up our sleeves and to walk in the midst of the mess for the sake of the precious lives that live there. We ask for your peace to all those who were personally touched. Oh God, that you in your goodness and your mercy would bring them hope and life in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hadi mentioned earlier his running to the Lord on that day. And it is interesting that in the weeks and the months, for quite some time after the events of 9-11, that, that we witnessed something that perhaps is unprecedented in this country's history. And <clears throat> that is that churches all over the country rallied and reached out to to give and 
to care for tens of thousands of people as a result of, of those attacks. And on the flip side of that coin of, of churches reaching out were the people who on their own initiative sought out churches for care and for support and prayer, attendance numbers according to to those who, who study those kinds of things were, were up for weeks and months in churches all over the country. Um, going to a place that promised hope and support and care. And that I think that scenario makes a, an amazing statement about the presence of the local church in its community. You know, and every local church has... They have, they, have a, they have a two-dimensional presence, uh, whether they, they realize it or not. First, there is the very real need for a church to be intentional about reaching out to its community, recognizing the needs, and to be purposeful about, about stepping out and meeting those needs. And we certainly saw that happen right in New York City proper, uh, in a big way. Uh, and, 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 it, and it went on uh, beyond the borders of, of New York City. Uh, you know, I would call that the active presence of a church in its community, the, the, the intentional presence. But I think there's another dimension, and, and that's what we might call a more passive presence of a church in its community. Uh, not passive in the sense that it doesn't care, but, but a presence that communicates to the folks in its community that, that we are here for you. We want to demonstrate love. We want to demonstrate care. We want to know you. So that when a crisis arrives, rises in the, in the life of a person, they, they feel like they can turn to a church. Um, we have folks who come to our church often uh, because they are in crisis. And it, I know, has been our heart's desire from day one to be, to be available and to be a church that can help in some way uh, in those kinds of needs. In April of this year, Christianity Today ran a brief called What's a Congregation Worth? Interesting study that was done by a University of Pennsylvania researcher. He considers himself to be non-religious. That's, those are his words. And according to a survey done on average every year, Focusing on inner city churches, they contribute over $400,000 to the local economy and the community in which they live. His 2011 survey highlighted one church in particular, his First Baptist Church in Philadelphia. He said they contributed over $6 million a year to the local economy, more than 10 times their annual budget. And this is the way he broke some of that down. He uh, figured volunteer hours were worth $94,770. There was a reduced crime rate in the community of the church, a reduction of of $64,000 worth. Uh, Getting people off of drugs and alcohol, almost $79,000. Building enhancements, uh, helping people gain employment. He, uh, he registered that at, at just a little over $700,000. Suicide prevention, almost $59,000. Divorces that were prevented, almost $23,000. Uh, assigning dollar figures to those kinds of things so that he could answer the question, what kind of an impact 
does a church have on its community? What is, what is the value of a church to its community? From a strictly financial perspective, certainly that church, uh, it would indicate that, uh, that they were having quite an impact in their community. Applewood Community Church has been in this place for a little over six years now. We moved into this building of May 2005. And do you ever wonder about our value to our community? I do. And if words mean anything, and again, words are just words, we, we have made a difference in the lives of some. Just last week, I got a call from from a woman who is a Girl Scout leader and one of the two troops that uses our space in this building every month. And, and she, was, she was just effusive. I, this was not the first time that she's been this way. And her thanks to us for, for allowing them to use the building. And uh, I recalled the words of one of the leaders in the other Girl Scout troop, the younger one, second and third grade little girls, telling me that they had had to leave the church where they were at before because they were too noisy. And you think to yourself, 30 second and third grade girls, what exactly were you expecting? Um, and, and then there are the gardeners. Uh, lots of, of comments from gardeners. Um, amazed. There's, there's a hint of amazement in some of the voices that I've heard that a, that a church would have a garden and allow neighbors to use it. Really? You know, an acre of sun-baked fallow soil and we wouldn't <laughs> want to have a garden? It's, it's just, it's interesting. And, and yesterday I, I, heard, I heard it again. Perhaps you noticed the artwork on the, uh, the board in the back when you came in. Uh, that's uh, compliments of over 20 kids who were a part of Kids Day Out yesterday. We hosted over 20 Jefferson County foster kids for three hours. And, and one mom thanked me as she was leaving. And she said this, and I quote, This is the only time we get a break from our kids. So there are notes and there are phone calls of thanks and appreciation that we receive after our community care weekend and last year's great cookie giveaway, which, as you know, is happening next Sunday. If you didn't know that, you need to know that. There's information on the table in, in the, uh, the lobby. Just baking cookies and taking them out to our neighbors just because we can. And uh, we have gotten some fun responses to that. So I say all of this because I want us to, to look at a familiar passage this morning. It's one of only two texts in the Gospels where Jesus refers to the church, or he mentions the church, using that term, the church. It is a very important and defining text uh, as we consider life together at Applewood Community Church. So let's stand together and let's read uh, this passage. together. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Well, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, 
Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of death will not overcome it. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Let's put those last words up there so that we can uh, have them before us. I will build my church and the gates of death will not overcome it. In the words of Jesus, significant truths. He's, he's talking about the church with a capital C. He's not talking about Applewood in particular or any other local church. He's talking about his church. He's talking about that gathering of people in the world who possess the presence and the power of his spirit. Which, by the way, when he was speaking those words, technically didn't exist yet. He was speaking prophetically. And we see that prophecy come to fruition in the book of Acts. And and it has continued for the last 2,000 years throughout this world, the growth of the church. So, what I want you to do is just turn to a neighbor or two for a couple of minutes with those words on the screen. I want you to discuss some of the the truths that are buried in those 14 words that Jesus is saying about the church, okay? That's it. What can you find? Just look at those words, talk to your neighbor. What's Jesus saying? What are the truths here? Let's just explore it for a few minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, what did you find? What do you think? What, what, what's Jesus teaching us here in, in just, just these few words? Go ahead, Donna. Okay, okay. All right. The church is eternal. Jesus is building it. Satan, evil, cannot overcome it. Okay, what else? Yes. Satan will attempt to destroy the church. Yes, yes. What else? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Probably one of, the, one of the most debated passages in all of Scripture. Uh, and and there, there is, in a very real sense, in which Peter was founder of the church. I mean, Peter was, Peter was a heavyweight, <laughs> you know, in, in the original church. But, yeah, there, that, the statement that he makes about the Messiahship of Jesus, that is, that is the theological rock upon which the church stands. Uh, what do we stand on if not that? What do we have to offer if not that? Craig, I see that hand. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. We do indeed. We do indeed. Let's, let's go with that for a minute. Jesus is talking about the, the, the church. He's not talking about the the individual church or the local church, but 
the, the local church takes its identity from what Jesus is saying about his church here, or at least it should. And, and there, there are two primary truths that Jesus expresses here that are absolutely essential for every local church to remember. So let's look at those for just, just a minute. The first primary truth is that the church belongs to Jesus. It does. I will build my church. Who said that again? Okay, good. Just making sure you're with me here. We must understand to whom the church belongs. It belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the owner of the church. He is. It's his idea. It's his organism. It's his life on earth. So if that is true of the church with a capital C, that is his people gathered in the power and the presence of his spirit, then what does that mean for the local church? It means the same thing because the local church is the expression of the church in the world. And the local church needs to remember who the owner is. Who's this place belong to? Well, it belongs to all the fine people at Appwood Community Church. No, it doesn't. We just pay the bills. It's not ours. It is not ours. This church belongs to Jesus. We just spent several weeks together, did we not? In, in John 15, learning what it means to, to have life in Jesus. He's the vine, we are the branches. So one of the really significant things that we learned, if you remember, is that an intimate relationship with Jesus, one in which the branch is deeply embedded in the vine, will, will bear fruit. We, the branches, will bear fruit. And that fruit will be a passion for God as it was in Jesus, right? Is that familiar? Great. Jesus is the vine. We get our life from him. And if the connection is genuine and deep, then our lives will look and sound a whole lot like his. Now, here's the thing. If I'm doing that and you're doing that, then when we all get together, which is what the local church is, it's just a collection of branches, then guess what our life together looks like. Who does it look like? What does it sound like? Jesus. And his passion for the Father and living out the values of the kingdom of God on earth. The presence that a local church exhibits in its community will be determined by its corporate relationship to Jesus, which is the sum of the individuals and an understanding of who the owner is, the boss of the local church is Jesus, period. And it, when it comes to the, to the day-to-day and, and week-to-week functions and decisions, a church ought to be asking, what does the boss want of us? This is his place, not ours. Second primary truth is that the church is offensive. The purpose, the mission of the church is to break down the gates of death or Hades or hell It's all the same. The the phrase that we find in the NIV and some of the other translations that the gates will not overcome the church, probably a better translation that will not prove stronger than the church. The gates were the entry to a city. They were the entry to a fort, to a fortress, a stronghold. Jesus is giving an image 
of a world in which the inhabitants are being held captive and the purpose of those who are his people who know God is to break down the gates so that the stronghold collapses and those who are captive are set free. That is the purpose of the church. That's what Jesus says. How do we do that? Well, we go back to what we learn in John 15. If we're living in Jesus, then his life will be our life. His passion will be our passion. And the way in which that is shaped is the activity of our life together. It is the values of the kingdom of God that are supposed to shape the people of God. Remember? Hopefully. The values of the kingdom of God is what the captives see. And as the captives see those values lived out, the gates that hold them begin to crumble and they are drawn into the life of God's kingdom. Now, just a real quick clarification on that word offensive. (laughs) Because there is the idea of offensive, that is being on the move. The idea of being on the offense. And then there's the idea of being offensive that causes offense to people. And unfortunately, that may happen more than the other one does. That sense in which we cause offense. Now, I think it's incumbent upon the local church to be purposeful in living out the values of the kingdom of God. That is what God calls us to. And and there are times when that is going to be offensive to people. But I, I think that it's so important for the church, the local church, for Appwood Community Church, to never confuse the two. I don't believe that we are called to offend others. We are called to be the presence of Christ. And we are called to live out kingdom values in a world that does not understand those values. And among many people who do not understand or appreciate those values, that may be an offense. Does that make sense? But that's not our goal. We're not out to offend. Our mission is not to offend. But our mission will sometimes offend. Are you with me? Okay. All that brings us to the point of this fall sermon series. And you're thinking, finally, I thought he'd never get there. Let me give you three statements that I think bring it together. First is this one. These truths that Jesus speaks about the church, they are true for every local church. No exceptions. Every, every church is under the mandate of these words of Jesus. There are no exceptions. Every church belongs to Jesus and must remember that they are not exempt. Every local church should be on the offensive to break down the gates of hell, the stronghold of evil that holds people captive. Every local church needs to remember that. And, and here's the second statement. Though the mandate is the same for every church, the method is not. The method is not the same. Not every local church is going to express the presence of Christ in the same way to its community. As God calls individuals to different ministry emphases in their lives, so too churches are, are gifted and equipped differently. Make sense? 
as, as well as in different communities with, with different needs. And so not every church is going to look the same, but their mission, their mandate is the same. And third, every church must live out its gifting with intention and awareness. And this is, this is where I want us to come to this morning. Live out its gifting with intention and awareness or it will change into something else. It just will. It's kind of like the second law of thermodynamics in churches. You know, randomness will increase. Entropy will increase. Uh, Things will begin to change and they won't be changing for the better. Like people, we sometimes look at others and say, wow, I want to be like them. We, we don't see the value and the beauty that God has created in each one of us and we strive to be like others. We try to emulate their actions and their accomplishments and their achievements, their activities because in our minds we see that as better. Churches do the same thing. And, and, and this series, I hope, will be a call for us to recognize some of the things that make Applewood Community Church distinctive. Now, you may be having a thought like my wife did when I told her about this series. I think her question was, well, will will we be studying the Bible? (laughs) And And I realized, okay, I need to be clear here. This... I understand this series is a little different than, than my normal approach. I am not planning to espouse the wonders and the beauty and the glory of Applewood Community Church. No. What I want us to grab a hold of is who it seems to be that God has created us. The things that have become sort of who we are in our life together over these years that we've existed, particularly in, in this place. Uh, think of it this way. You and I have much DNA in common. That's what makes us human. Local churches have much DNA in common. It's church DNA. That's what makes them churches. And yet, there are things in my DNA that make me me and things in your DNA that make you you. And so we are, we are different Churches are the same way. God has made us distinct in certain ways for His glory. And and that, I think, is such a cool thing. But again, like humans do, we will sometimes be tempted to emulate others whose gifts and qualities and abilities we think are better than our own. I think God has created in Applewood Community Church a DNA that is distinctive, that makes us special and, and makes us useful for his glory just as we are. And that's okay. That's, that's a good thing. And that doesn't mean that we're not open to change, not open to doing things differently. But my observation over the years is that sometimes the desire of a church to change and do things differently doesn't come from the leading of God's Spirit to do it that way. It comes from a desire to be, quote, successful and doing it like someone else. And can I suggest to you that from the moment we started talking about building, 
these thoughts began to work their way into my head. And I think that's probably where this sermon series came from and I've been praying like mad over the months and God just hasn't released me from it. I'm excited about what he is doing. I'm excited about the provision. I'm excited about expanding and the possibilities for ministry that will bring to us. But that is not who we are. It just happens to be something that we're doing. And in the midst of all of that, and beyond that, when the building is done and the dust is cleared and the holes are filled and the walls are painted, who are we? My prayer is that we will be then who we are now in terms of the distinctive DNA that God has given us. That's where I want us to go in in this fall season together. Praise team, why don't you come on up because we need to be done. Do you remember as they come a story that I shared with you a couple of years ago? It was about the Orthodox Church in Russia. They discovered that back in 2008, one of their church buildings had disappeared. It had 200-year-old building just northeast of Moscow had been unused for a decade. The Orthodox Church, which was beginning to experience some growth numerically, they were considering reopening the church building, but then they discovered that it wasn't there. So in their search to get to the bottom of this, after investigating, the church officials did not blame aliens from outer space. Rather, they said that the perpetrators were villagers from a nearby town whom they said had taken and sold bricks from the building to a businessman. For each brick, the thieves received one ruble, which was worth about four cents at the time. The two-church facility did not go from a building to not being a building in one bulldozing stroke. Rather, the bricks were apparently chiseled out one by one by lots of people. And my prayer is that we will pay attention to the bricks that are the distinctives that God has given us and blessed us with for his glory, for his presence in this community, for his glory, for his honor. Amen.